Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Back to another episode of the Rotorog Football Podcast. You make it the most important podcast in the universe. My name is Josh Norris. Thank you for being with us for a second time this week. I really appreciate it. If you missed the episode earlier this week, it's the one big question every single team must answer prior to training camp, during training camp, during preseasons, pretty much before week one of the NFL season. The AFC was on Tuesday, so that means the NFC is today. As always, joined by Nick Minzio, Jesse Pantusco, and Patrick Doherty. Uh, before I kick it to them, did want to say, as always, share this with one friend. Force one friend to download and subscribe to this podcast. I'm going to keep saying it until you do it. Talking to you, Samuel and Christopher, Stephen, Hannah, Timothy, all of you, do it for me. All right, we kick off this pod with Patrick Doherty asking the one burning question for the Dallas Cowboys. Is millennial offensive coordinator uh, Kellen Moore serious about modernizing the Cowboys offense? Because the defining characteristic of the Cowboys 2018 offense was basically running in non-value-added situations, like always running on first down, just running you know, in situations where you should not run and hurting your chances of succeeding on successive downs. So... Is Kellen Moore serious about bringing the Cowboys offense into the 21st century? Uh, everything he said this offseason is very promising, talking about being multiple, talking about everyone's versatility, basically saying the things you want to hear a modern offensive coordinator say. So is he serious about that? Will he be allowed to be serious about that by Jason Garrett and Jerry Jones? And can Dak take that next step yes. to be like a quarterback that really functions and elevates the rest of his offense when it doesn't go according to plan? Do we have that answer? And I also think that there's like a, when you look back at the 2018 season for the Cowboys, there's like a pre-Amari and a post-Amari, right? Because we know with the Raiders last year, Amari Cooper was a zero. He was a nothing. Then he goes to Dallas and has just some monster games. And there's some real wide receiver one potential there with him. We see that every year with Amari Cooper around this time. But for the Cowboys, at least they seem like they know that they have to get the ball to him in meaningful situations. Yeah, they do. And they're another team where, yeah, they, the Cowboys usually commit to their stars. And even with a new offensive coordinator, someone who's kind of said he wants to, like, break the old ways there, the, the Dallas Cowboys are going to be committed to Ezekiel Elliott and to Amari Cooper. And, yeah, you know and Jason yeah. Whitmall is going. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I I'd honestly almost Randall forgotten Cobb. about that. Yeah. Uh, I think Randall Cobb just like a... A nothing? Parallel shift from Cole Beasley's. Um, he might be a slight improvement on Cole Beasley. Yeah. Um, Maybe five years ago. Like, I, I think 
Randall Cobb is completely Well, and, and Nick, if you're going to uh, like put a label on Cole Beasley's game, it's Randall Cobb five years ago. Uh, or five years from... I messed up that joke. I, uh, I think we get the gist of it. <laughs> yeah. um, it is interesting, though, like when an offensive coordinator with no play-calling experience or exposures jumps into that role because it's becoming more and more important in the NFL now, right? And all we can go on, Jesse is like word of mouth here with Kellen Moore. And by all cases, everyone is super impressed in the media and in the NFL of what Kellen Moore can potentially do. Oh, is he a backup quarterback like to, to Dak like two years ago? Right, right. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, he's uh, totally unproven. But I think uh, anything that will give us less Jason Garrett play calling uh, is probably a good thing for this offense. But at the end, like, we're just going to get 30 carries a game for Ezekiel Elliott. Maybe, but maybe they'll be in more optimized situations is the hope. Let's go to Nick Minzio with the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Carson Wentz just signed a long-term contract, as he should, because he's a very good football player. Um, obviously, not the defending Super Bowl champions anymore, Philadelphia Eagles, but a lot of optimism heading into 2019 here, Nick. Yeah, fully committed to Wentz after Foles walked in free agency, so lost. Uh, it wasn't the quarterback for the Super Bowl, obviously, because he tore his ACL, then had a back injury at the end last season, so Nick Foles got up. Want, got all this money from playing in the big big stage. My question is, Wentz is 100% healthy. Can he rebound to that MVP level form that we saw before he got hurt against the Rams in 2017? So, And yes. I think yes is the answer. I yeah. think so too, yeah. But the biggest question, as you mentioned, is health. For $32 right. million a year, he better, yeah. And that's something that we have no clue about, right? Because, again, when he was playing so well in 2017, he was the MVP and then right. he got hurt. But then it's two straight injuries, significant ones. Right. In two years. But this is maybe, on paper, the most deep team in the NFL. Yeah, this offense is just stacked. Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, Miles Sanders, uh, stud offensive line. I mean, right. all the pieces are there for Wentz to completely bounce back. So if you're, if you're looking at odds, like on betting sites, and you 10 see— 10 to 1, I think yeah, I've seen 6 to 1. I've throwing money at Wentz for yeah. MVP. There were some, uh, some interesting locker room rumblings. I forget where that oh, article yeah. came from, but that was— that's something to watch too, but obviously it didn't scare him enough to not give him 128 million. Pat, what what is the infusion of Deshaun Jackson do for this offense and the Eagles? Because that's a wrinkle and an element that really Carson Wentz hasn't had yet. Yeah, and they were missing last year, especially after Mike Wallace got hurt and you know Matt Collins never really developed. Uh, should make things easier for everybody because Deshaun Jackson's not like an ordinary deep threat. He, if you like dig into his career stats, he's like one of the greatest deep threats in NFL history. And we know Carson Wentz has a huge arm. And like we know uh, Doug Peterson from the Andy Reid tree that like it's not always like kind of a, a deep game's not always like a big part of that offense, but it can be a big part of that offense. Uh, certainly was with the Chiefs last year, and uh, I think it will be. And just make the things easier for everyone else. And this is probably definitely the best supporting cast of Carson Wentz's career. So you have Deshaun Jackson. You have Miles Sanders, who, after the draft, Howie Roseman said it was the kind of prospect he'd been waiting for for years. And Arcega Whiteside, another one, super intriguing rookie. So We didn't even talk about Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. I mean, yeah. Both oh, my guys. gosh. It's a great point. It's team stacked. Uh, let's go to the Washington Redskins. Uh, Jesse, one year ago, this team had moved on from Kirk Cousins, and they've gone to Alex Smith, thinking that Alex Smith was going to be their quarterback for many years. And That's he breaks his leg. obviously not going to happen. And it seems like it's going to be Colt McCoy, what, Case Keenum, or maybe even Dwayne Haskins. Yeah, my question is, is about Dwayne Haskins. When are we going to see him? Because we know he's the best quarterback on that roster. And, you know, huge shout-out to Dave Gettleman for allowing him to fall to them at 15. <laughs> really lucked out there. 
Um, you know, I, I liked what I saw on tape of Dwayne Haskins uh, in college. We know he's not super mobile, which is is a little uh, a little bit of a downside in today's NFL, where we have so many dual threat quarterbacks. But he's super accurate um, and just kills it in the in the middle of the field. Um, but here here's something I wrote down. So their their first five games, they have the Eagles in Week One, Cowboys Week Two, Bears Week Three, Patriots in Week Five. For a, if you're going to throw a guy into the fire. That is a really tough slate to start out with. Yeah. So I would not be surprised if Case Keenum kind of begin, begins the year as the starter. Maybe we see them ease in Haskins. And this isn't a year where a lot's expected of them anyway. Is Jay Gruden just like a stopgap coach? Like coach for his job. I think we're going to see Haskins early. Like He needs to play the best quarterback to save his job. So he's either, and we know it's not Case Keenum and we know it's not Colt McCoy. He's either a stopgap coach or he's the new Jason Garrett, someone who will just live on forever, uh, even if he's mediocrity. I do think Dwayne Haskins will be the week one starter, and I worry about Dwayne Haskins, an NFL prospect. Uh, he was a subtle mover, I think you could call it, at Ohio State, uh, where he, you know, like kind of like the narrative is that he's completely immobile, which isn't completely true. Like he, right. he was a good subtle mover in the pocket, but it was subtle. Uh, he's not much of a mover, and. It's more than just a little concern in the modern NFL. It's a massive concern. Especially if Trent Williams doesn't show up. Yeah, which, uh, you know. It's a big difference from Alex Smith last year, who is one of the more, you know, agile quarterbacks in the league and can make plays with his legs. So we're going to see. I'm, I, have, I have my doubts about Dwayne Haskins as an NFL prospect. And, and like, but, yeah, I think he will be the week one starter. I mean, Daniel Schneider, we're not going to. This is not a team. Yeah. John Jay Gruden, coach job. It's not a team that's going to I think the worry, though, is, like, when you have that tough a schedule is, you know, especially a young player like that is breaking their confidence. We've seen that happen before with Deshaun Kaiser in Cleveland. I mean, it's happened a lot. Who just wasn't ready, you know? Yeah, but the guys who are going to be ready. a lot of, less talented guys. Yeah, the, but the guys who are going to be ready eventually, like, I feel like it can hurt you early in your career, but usually if you're talented enough, you'll overcome that. So I don't think they're going to worry too much about that. Moving over to the New York Giants, Daniel Jones, the number six overall pick. When can he show enough to force out Eli Manning from that starting job? You know, right after they selected Jones, Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer at number six, they were locked in. I mean, they said, quote unquote, the goal is for Eli to be our quarterback. And cracks, Pat, kind of have shown a little bit since then where Pat Shermer says he wants Daniel Jones to be ready for week one, that, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. And it helps, in Jones' case, that Eli has been one of the worst starting quarterbacks in the league for the last three years. He has. Uh, maybe longer than that, uh, if you want to split hairs. But uh, the coach speak is growing ever more refined with Daniel Jones and Eli Manning. It's honestly a pretty standard, it was a pretty standard offseason of coach speak from the Giants. This happens a lot. Even when it's not Eli Manning, a team drafts a rookie quarterback, and even if it's like Case Keenum, that's the starter. The coach, like, oh no, why would like they act like insulted if like you suggest the rookie's going to start like draft weekend sometimes? Like no, no, this is Case Keenum's football team. Uh, the rookie still has to earn it. But uh, so to me, it's been a kind of a standard progression of a language from Pat Shermer, and I think Eli will be the week one starter, but yeah. it's going to be very brief. I think his leash is going to be. Yeah. Pretty long, too. Even though the Giants are all slot receivers, like week two or three, there's going to be like a, a Twitter compilation video of Eli Manning horribly. We've already seen it from people. the 2018 season. Yeah, so there's going to be another one of those, and it's going to be a very early changing the guard. I mean, this is a quarterback, an Eli, that was sacked 78 times over the last two seasons. Which like, is, it's bad offensive line play, but it's so also Eli Eric Manning. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's bad offensive line play. Sacks are a quarterback stat. But bad quarterbacks make offensive lines mm-hmm. look worse than they are. And, Correct. Yeah. And now, I mean, it's a worse team offensively. And we know that the foundation, the identity is Saquon Barkley. 
Sure, in the passing game and in the running game. And how many slot receivers can you have? But this is <laughs> also a team. Yeah. This is also a team, Jesse, that tried to at least move on from Eli for a game a couple seasons ago and ended in tragedy for basically <laughs> everyone involved. And so, will Patrick be willing to do that in 2019? Well, I think in order for them to even like contend to win games. Well, that's the worst part of this is this whole narrative of apology going out of their way to apologize. We're sorry we benched you for Geno Smith that one time. So we're going to let you basically be the quarterback until you don't want to be anymore. And even though Eli has shown that he's just not an NFL, he's not a starting caliber quarterback at this stage of his career. It's not really a comparable situation. I mean, there's a big difference. I mean, benching Eli was the right decision, but there's a big difference between benching Eli for Geno Smith. And, and then one overall pick. Yeah. Not well, but pick, the but number one pick. consistent theme here is that he's been bad. Like, yeah. it's okay to bench a quarterback for someone better in that situation and then it was Geno probably and in Eli's defense he was probably better than Geno Smith okay. in and they draft like the one first round quarterback that's probably not really going to push for a week one start too I mean we could all go on forever about DeAndre Jones's flaws he'll he and Dwayne Haskins will tell us a lot in like their two to three preseason games that they play it'll show us a lot and have the answers to this Pat let's move on to the Chicago Bears you mentioned them earlier uh, this is a team that I wouldn't say exceeded expectations last year, but Matt Nagy in year one was a revelation in some ways offensively and really carried a lot and even expanded on what he did in Kansas City as a play caller and an offensive game planner to now as the head coach of the Bears. I would say they definitely exceeded expectations. 12 wins for the first time since 2006. Uh, even the quarterback in Mitchell Trubisky was improved, but he wasn't like vastly improved. Not to, like uh, He wasn't making like a Carson Wentz level leap. And so my my question, though, is about the running game, because Mitchell Trubisky, we know, has a lot of limitations, still a lot of questions. It's still going to be a run-oriented, uh, not that they didn't pass, but a run-oriented offense. And can D- David Montgomery be the immediate leader of this backfield? And hmm. three days before the draft, uh, I can't remember if it was Ryan Pace or it was Matt Nagy, said running back was not a pressing need, quote-unquote, uh, for the Bears. And then a team that had only five draft picks uh, three days later traded up for a running back. And that's notable. It wasn't just like, okay, we're waiting yeah. at our spot and taking best player available. It's he's so much higher on our board than anyone else that we are prioritizing a running back that we like. So they did that. And since then, Matt Nagy multiple times has compared him to Kareem Hunt. So he's not trying to like t- tamp down expectations. And uh, with all yeah, due respect to the Mike Davis hype train that was before the draft, I think it's probably DOA yeah, for yeah. the 2019 season. But like, no matter what, if we talk about being better than someone, I think it's safe to say that... Um, uh, He's an improvement on Jordan Howard. David Montgomery, yes. And Mike <laughs> Davis are, are an Your improvement least favorite player. <laughs> over Jordan Howard. But with that said, like, Tariq Cohen is still going to have his role because neither of those players touch Tariq Cohen's role at all. Yeah, Tariq Cohen, the actually uh, good Theo Riddick. Uh, yes. The poor man, Darren Sproles. To me, he basically plays another position, though, because he's 180 yeah. pounds. He's not going to get goal line carries. He's not exactly. So with if Dave Montgomery is the feature back, Pat, does that propel him into top 10 scoring status at running back? No, I think, I think maybe top 18 would be slightly more realistic. Uh, mid-range to low-end RB2 is probably what you're hoping for. Because like, the, the Tariq Cohen role is locked in. That's not going anywhere. You and mentioned it, it earlier. This team wants to be like the Jaguars from the, right. the 2017. They want to win with defense and running. So if Montgomery wins this theoretical lead-back alpha dog status, he, he can definitely flirt with RB1 numbers, I think. And quickly to tie this up, Mitch Trubisky is someone who is – a lot like Josh Allen, in that if it's outside of structure, he's not necessarily going to win with his arm, he's going to win with his feet. And, but that's something that, you know, 
we've seen success with quarterbacks that can do that much more now than they have been in the past. Uh, Nick Minzio, the Minnesota Vikings, a team that paid Kirk Cousins a lot of money heading into 2018, and it did not pay off because of a horrific offensive line for multiple reasons. What about in 2019? Horrific offensive line and very ill-timed turnovers from Cousins that turned into touchdowns for the defense. So, I mean, they, they fired John T. Filippo towards the end of last season, uh, hired Kevin Stefanski full-time, brought in Gary Kubiak. My question is going to be, is Coach Mike Zimmer going to be put his stamp on this offense and make this offense run the ball? Is, uh, is it going to affect Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs' numbers? Because we heard hints of this last year, right? Like, didn't he basically fire someone or demote someone just because, hey, I want you to run the football right. more, even if you have two of the top 15 wide receivers in the NFL? He did. And, uh, yeah, like I said, they promoted Kevin Stefanski, immediately removed his interim tag. I'm not super concerned for Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs. I think they'll both – maybe they won't be – for a while last year, they're both top 12. I think maybe more top 18, top 20 might be slightly more realistic. But even if they're a run-committed team, which every sign says they're going to be, it's a narrow enough offense, yep. not like n- no number three receiver to speak of. There's some comp- target competition. Sonny Taylor, Sunshine Taylor? Yeah, a little target competition at tight end, but it's a narrow enough offense where even if they go all in on the run, uh, I think you're still going to get very solid, at the least, wide receiver two production. Agree with everything you said there. And you mentioned Stefanski, but it's really Gary Kubiak, is it not? Like, I mean, I'm a crazy person and go and watch all these post-draft press conferences, and it was about five to one of Gary Kubiak mentions from Mike Zimmer versus Kevin Stefanski. That's interesting. Very interesting, actually. And in fact, Gary Kubiak was the reason one of the main reasons why they drafted the center in the first round is because when Gary Kubiak was off last fall, he was evaluating all these college prospects. It was like, I want the center to run my zone system. So, like, I, I know that the titles are different and they're probably going to mention Stefanski so much, but the zone running scheme that we have seen historically been very good for Gary Kubiak, I, maybe he's the run game coordinator and Stefanski's pass game, who knows what happens, but I agree with you. Like, Stefan Diggs, fantastic. Adam Thielen, fantastic. I just hope... We get an ideal situation for them to perform it. Can we just say, I hope we all have a, good, a fall as good this fall as finding our center of the of future. Of the future? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, a good, that's that. a good fall. Uh, Jesse Pantusco, the Green Bay Packers, a team that is consistent, doesn't make a lot of waves, doesn't make a lot of changes. They've made some drastic changes heading into 2019, namely with a new head coach in Matt LaFleur. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Mike McCarthy era is finally over, and... Uh, but Matt LaFleur has, comes with some question marks, too. He's, another, he's from the Sean, McK- Sean McVay coaching tree, which led him to get his offensive coordinator job in Tennessee last year. But I think Jerry's still out on how well that went. Uh, they didn't make the playoffs and really you know, waited till the end of the season to give Derrick Henry the workload he deserved. And we know that Aaron Rodgers is kind of a tough guy to please. He butted heads with McCarthy, and already there have been some rumblings that uh, – he, he has to maybe win, win over Rodgers. Yep. So um, I, th- I think that's going to be an interesting situation to watch. First-time head coach with a, uh, a quarterback who, you know, they, I, I believe there was, they, they talked about um, limiting some of the audibles at the line of scrimmage, and Rodgers is not going to be is. okay. Rodgers is, no, this is my line of scrimmage. I call the plays. And uh, that, that could be a tug-of-war throughout the year. It's, I'm still wondering why Matt LaFleur got hired, because it's not based on what we saw with no. Tennessee. No. You have no identity and until the end of the season. Like, if you, could have, if you could have been doing this all season, you would have made the playoffs. Like, right. 
the, the decision making is obviously and, and I'm not saying that he's going to be a bad head coach no matter what. It's just based on things that we haven't seen put out in practice yet, right? It's it's probably about the meetings and the conversations during the hiring process. Um, and I, to your point, Jesse, like if Aaron Rodgers is the best in the NFL at surveying what the defense is doing, making changes at the line of scrimmage, why would you limit him? So why would you limit him? And it certainly sounds like they want him to stick to a script much more often. They do, and Matt Lafleur, like last year, very mixed results in Tennessee. He does check all the boxes. He's not only a Sean McVay uh, protege, he's also a Kyle Shanahan protege. Ooh. And you know, they, he's had kind of a bit of a bromance with Aaron Rodgers a little bit, even despite some of the they've been trying to put on a unified front this off season. And for Aaron Rodgers, you know, it honestly could just be any new coach was going, even if it was like a terrible new coach, like any change of leadership there. Would hopefully spark Aaron Rodgers to a degree, and that's kind of also like a common off-season new coach trope, uh, always related to audibling. Either we're going to audible more, or we're going to audible less. I kind of don't put any stock in that really with Aaron Rodgers. Like I don't really think that's going to be a real concern. So I just think basically any coach uh, hopefully will be an improvement for Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I will move on to the Detroit Lions. The big question here, because we know where Bob Quinn, the GM, comes from, New England. We know where Matt Patricia, the head coach, comes from, New England. Is it even possible to mirror what the Patriots do offensively with Matthew Stafford as your quarterback versus Tom Brady? Because if you put them up on a board, right, they are very different quarterbacks. Tom Brady is consistent. Tom Brady is precise. Matthew Stafford is high variance. He has a big arm and wants to test it and spray the ball down the field. Um, But as we've seen, they want to turn Matthew Stafford into this quarterback that, you know, once in a while has to make a big-time throw, and other than that, run the ball a lot, because that's really what the Patriots' offense has turned into as well. I said it's frustrating, Matthew Stafford, actually, because a player who had kind of always lacked run identity as a quarterback had actually become kind of quietly a Mm high-efficient passer under Jim Bob Cooter. And then last year, out of nowhere, kind of not, kind of, I guess you could say out of nowhere, kind of abandoned everything. Stafford, like this painstaking growth process he had to become like a more efficient, less cavalier quarterback, they kind of just scrapped that, and now we're all in on this new model and like basically treating him like a. So true is it even winnable? You hate seeing guys with arm talent like that. Yeah. Put the waist like the way they're they're doing this. Like Matthew Stafford is a guy who I, I understand like the inclination to rein him in to a degree, but to turn him into. Like a, a like a handoff specialist, basically. It's right. Not like it's not going to be a winning. Fight. And it's also a team that heading into the 2018 offseason, they hadn't re-signed Eric Ebron, but they could have. Right. They could have kept his fifth-year option or something. They could have Religious kept him on the come. roster. Yeah. Then they had Golden Tate. They had Marvin Jones. They had Kenny Galladay. Now it's Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones. I believe that's already rumblings that he might not be on the roster this season. Like this is an offense that is like being neutered. And I don't want that in 2019 as an offense for an NFL team. No. I will say at least C.J. Anderson is an improvement on LeGarrette Blunt, so yeah. maybe that'll help a little bit. Not I'm saying he's like a massive improvement, but he is better than LeGarrette. I mean, as a big short, yeah. short yardage guy. It's going to be real guy. frustrating. Yeah. No disrespect to C.J. Anderson, best player in the playoffs last year. Uh, but yeah, this is not going to be a fun offense but to it, watch. And, and it does kind of add up to on Johnson possibly being a breakout player. And I'm hey, fully investing. Detroit Free Press has predicted 60 plus receptions for Carryon Johnson. So I hope I was going to say I said hopefully I was going to say hopefully Theoretic gets cut. I don't hope any player wow. loses their job, but uh, hopefully he gets cut and finds a new job with another team. Because I don't want Theoretic 
uh, who has not been good for several years, kind of capping Carrion Johnson's three-down upside. I actually nominated Carrion Johnson for the breakout player Speaking on a previous podcast. And speaking of the podcast, go and subscribe to the podcast right now. Um, get caught up on all the latest NFL news while on the go with the Rotor World Football Podcast twice a week during the summer. It's actually four times during the NFL season. You ready? Ready. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's going to be a lot of stuff. So check it out over at rotorworld.com slash podcast slash NFL or wherever podcasts are found. Patrick Doherty, keep us going with the New Orleans Saints. This is my question. Is, was Drew Brees' quieter 2018 his new normal in fantasy football? Uh, he was the QB 10 by average overall points, so still a QB 1. But this is a guy who, from 2011 to 2016, averaged 5,100 yards per season. I mean, unheard of production, even in, in this past first era, un, unheard of production for any era. But it was quietly down 4,400 yards in 2017. Down below, he did take off week, week 17 last year, but he was down below 4,000 for the first time since he was with the Chargers. And there, there was a lot of debate over his deep ball last year. I thought it had certainly declined. Some other people, some of like the advanced numbers, though, said it didn't decline nearly as much as like the eye test might have suggested. But I think Drew Brees is... He's in his decline phase. He was kind of subtly being treated as if he was in his decline phase by the coaching staff last year. And I think it's – I have predicted him as a QB1 this year, yeah. but I wouldn't be shocked to see him finish outside is, the top 12. Is part of that that he is declining, or is it it's basically he's throwing to Michael Thomas and a whole bunch of jabronis out there? But it, it wouldn't be the first time he's had – True, but there's no, like, Jimmy whole- Graham. There's no other second wide receiver that he's throwing to. And I, I think that Ted Ginn is a great role player. Traquan Smith showed flashes – you have like Austin Carr in the slot, like basically Jared Cook now. Rashard Matthews also. You have Jared Cook who can maybe fill that tight end role. Right. And so maybe we will see some elevated numbers just because they have a true second option, other than Alvin Kamara coming out of the backfield where he's one of the biggest threats in the NFL. Ambry's numbers were so depressed towards the end of last season because they were just blowing teams out and just were they were able to run the ball against like the Giants and the Bengals where they were just stomping. So Yeah. It's tough for me to Begrudge them from being, I know I've said this a lot during this episode, but uh, begrudge them from being a run-first offense when you had Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara as your running backs, right? right? And I think Latavius Murray can come in and probably do 90% of what Mark Ingram did. It's going to remain a two-back offense for sure. Vulture some goal line carries. And at least Drew Brees is the type that we know that in that system he can make those big throws when he needs to. I feel like he made them less, though, than he ever had before last year. I think it's a fair suggestion. I mean, he's thirty nine. Really big numbers he's, last year. I believe uh, he might 40. be turning forty he's, this year. He, wow, yeah. he's forty. Yeah. Wow. All right, Nick Minzio. Let's move over to the Atlanta Falcons. Um, yeah, Atlanta has Matt Ryan in place, Julio Jones in place. Invests a lot in their offensive line. What's your big question? I'm ready to see is Calvin Ridley ready to take that step and overtake Mohamed Sanu? Uh, Ridley played sixty percent of the snaps last year, and Sanu played close to eighty percent. So, hoping for a little. Reverse in that, a little switch in that. I'm, I mean, I'm excited about Ridley. So, it was he was tough to predict last year, right? Because he had two or three games where he went absolutely bananas, but there was no really rhyme or reason for him to be predictably great in those moments. Um, I think at least what you're saying is what we should expect, right? Mohamed Sanu, who's again like that line mm-hmm. of average, um, having Calvin really overtake him as. Not a go-to number two, but someone that will at least draw more targets and attention. I, I think that that's easily predictable. Right. I would be, I would be surprised if that doesn't happen. 
You could see like Sanu even getting cut. Like, you could. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, there were some rumors. sort of plays the slot, though, so there's sort of different parts of the field a little bit. But. Sure, but I, I think Calvary can move inside, too. Now, they're right. different bodies. Like, they're different types. Obviously, he was, like, this physical presence, and Calvary really wants to create separation. Yeah, it wasn't surprising Calvin really being kind of inconsistent last year. Some of his random touchdown outbursts. And some of it, he was, a lot of it was yak, which right. yards after catch, which can be hard to predict. Uh, some year, we- year Some weeks, even week to week, some weeks yeah. you slip to tackle. Some weeks you don't, but one way for that to become more predictable is playing more snaps, getting more targets, and I think it's a pretty safe bet that he'll both out-snap and out-target Muhammad Sanu this year. And I think inside of structure, Matt Ryan is one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. Just when he has to break that structure, it goes wonky, goes haywire. So at least I think it was some self-scouting, some self-evaluating this offseason, right? Because the Falcons were to the point where they spent two first-round picks on offensive linemen. Like, they want him to play inside. Exactly. They want to change offensive coordinators. Fired all three of their coordinators. which, if you're going to do that, maybe you should just fire the head coach. But uh, I digress. Possibly. Lots of defensive issues for the Falcons last year because of injuries. Yep. I, I think it's a bounce-back team. Truly is a bounce-back team. Uh, Jesse, time for you to talk about the Carolina Panthers. Um, up and Your down team. season for the. Nah, I wouldn't say my team. At one point it was Don't my team. Don't um, deny it. Up and down season for them, right? First year with North Turner in 2018. There were some great positive moments. But as Cam Newton shorter declined, so did the offense. Yeah, absolutely. The offense was Christian McCaffrey. That's pretty much it. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's my question uh, going in here, both for real life and fantasy purposes, is he was getting, basically, in this NFL today, you see more specialized roles for running backs, where you have an early down hammer and, and kind of a receiving back and special teamers. But Christian McCaffrey, and that, and that was a question in year one. He, he, we knew he was a great receiver. Would he ever be a three-down back? And last year, he absolutely was. He got enormous volume. Um, and we saw how big he got this offense, too. Um, but you just wonder if, if that's sustainable and if yeah. he's going to break down uh, and get hurt at some point. I... I'm going to talk because they funneled so much of their offense through him. I think the Panthers have a lot of room to improve an offense. Yeah, Cam Newton, uh, his Norv Turner, like um, did what he was hired to do last year. Cam Newton had his career best completion percentage by almost seven points, uh, percentage points, and that was with his shoulder basically uh, d- disattached. It was basically creating more layups for Cam. Yeah, and like we've seen like a total philosophical change in offense for the Panthers. They're no longer just putting out big bodies. Like they are actually trusting Cam Newton to make percentage throws and not just giving him like six foot eight guys. It's almost huge it's almost like quarterbacks want to throw to receivers yeah, that are open for the instead first of people time, that are covered. Yeah, they're surrounding Cam Newton with playmakers and Christian McCaffrey, right. DJ Moore, and Curtis Samuel, yeah. and maybe even Ian Thomas. I don't know. Didn't you own him in Dynasty? I uh, do. I do. But uh, yeah, so I think the Panthers to me offense. And they did all. They made all this improvement last year, yeah, with Cam Newton barely even, even able to play like his final four or five starts of the season. So it's an offense that I think kind of could be uh, already improved a lot last year in terms of efficiency, and still has room to go. But speaking and, of McCaffrey specifically, like he jumped from about eleven to twelve touches during his rookie year to about twenty last year, and held up wonderfully. And I would say it'll stay around that twenty mark. And I know that like they had C.J. Anderson to start the season. They keep talking about how they want to give other people options. They don't know how to do that, right? Like some teams just don't know how to use two backs in offense. We With talked some about coordinators. The Norv Turner has never been exactly, that. and and so no matter who it is, if it's Jordan Scarlett, if it's Cameron Artis Payne, whoever it is, Chris McCaffrey is still going to be in there ninety something percent of the time because he Barely is their the identity in offense. He's their identity, and they don't know how to change that when he's off the field. I took some heat for taking McCaffrey number one overall in the draft guide mock. That oh, we I ran, love it. So. 
I'm all in on this. And the Panthers, we didn't even talk about their offensive line. This is like maybe a top three, five offensive line in the league. Ooh. So well. I think everything's setting up And especially well in PPR. I mean, what do you have, 107 catches last year? Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Record for running back. Yeah. By the way, Nick, Nick's always bringing the offensive line facts here. Love it. Yeah. Let's go and close out the NFC South. I'll do that with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who have made a change at head coach, bringing in Bruce Arians. Um, if we go back to last September, Jameis Winston was suspended. Brian Fitzpatrick had an 8-to-1 touchdown-to-interception ratio in two games. There was even conversation, it's tough to remember this far back, of like if Jameis Winston would even be on this team in 2019, right? Now he is, because Brian Fitzpatrick completely fell off a cliff, which Brian Fitzpatrick tends to do. But Jameis Winston, nothing has changed in his game, right? He's still this like high-variance guy who turns the football over, makes boneheaded decisions. He has not... I don't think, elevated his game really since his rookie year. So my biggest question is how is Bruce Arians going to react to that? How is Bruce Arians going to change or work around that style that Jameis Winston has? Because just like Marcus Mariota, Jameis Winston is entering his contract year. I mean, Bruce Arians has claimed it'll be a, a simple fix. and uh, Sure. Yeah, so we'll see about that. I mean, what you're hanging your hat on is this is, but I mean, so Jameis played in a prolific offense last year. But it was a you know head coach and a coordinator who are now other places and uh, you know one like I said earlier Todd Monk and already butting heads with this new coach Freddie Kitchens Dirk Cutter a journeyman so this is by far the best coaching situation Jameis Winston has ever had which as we see kind of year after year sometimes that's all a player needs uh, Andrew Luck had never fallen to the lows of Jameis Winston but like finally had a like a, a very good coaching situation last year and then easily had his best overall year ever uh, maybe not easy you can debate that a little bit but had his best year of his career and sometimes it really is just as simple as coaching Jameis Winston you know might not ever be the most consistent quarterback I think he will it would probably be his most consistent steady overall year hmm. and just by the simple virtue of for finally having an elite maybe not elite but very good coach I mean it's give and take with James you're gonna you're going to get the touchdowns, the big plays, but you're you're going to get the turnovers too. So yeah, you'll get. I feel like Bruce Arians probably will. Like you'll never completely, you'll never completely remove them from Andrew Luck's game. You'll never completely move them from Jameis Winston's game. But I think Bruce Arians is the kind of coach who probably could get it to a manageable level. And if he is consistent, then there's like prime breakout candidates on this offense, right? Absolutely. It's Chris Godwin, it's O.J. Howard, it's Ronald Jones, Pat's favorite sleeper heading into 2019. <laughs> we'll try and, <laughs> go, go say that on air. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I think you can't take like Jameis out of Jameis. It'd just be interesting to see yeah. with this new play caller. You can't caller ever take, yeah, like I said, but you can harness it. Sure. And we're going we're gonna to see a harnessed uh, Jameis Winston uh, this year. It's going to be a, a new Jameis. Pat? Gosh. Taking it back to you, the Los Angeles Rams, Super Bowl contending Los Angeles Rams, where do they sit, fit, heading into 2019? What's the question they have to answer heading into training camp? Still obviously an elite team, one of the two or three favorites of the Super Bowl, but uh, you know, is, is there any, are there any burning questions around the Rams? Anything anyone's <laughs> been wondering about? Uh, can you think of anything? Uh, yeah, I mean, will Ty Gurley get enough touches to remain an elite RB1? Like, will, yeah. will, will this be the Ty Gurley we had before the bye last year where things kind of sadly for Tiger really went south in the the biggest offensive game like the modern NFL era the 54-51 game Tiger really I believe only had 12 carries 55 yards didn't score a touchdown and after that's where everything went south and, her, yeah. yeah and so you know now we've got his own trainer admitting he has an arthritic knee uh we both the coaching staff and Gurley himself kind of offering very weak resistance to the idea that he's going to bounce back to be the same player so the, the media leaks have all been, he's not going to be, uh, 
get the usage we're used to. Uh, the, the coaching staff and the player himself are basically saying that. And uh, so, he have could, we seen the best of the Rams? No. No, I think we think have. So. I think we have. I think we have. We saw a poor game this plan. This offensive line is, yeah, again with the offensive line. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, no, no, but offensive line. I mean, we talked about it. Yeah, earlier, I wasn't trying to. Yeah, but it, but it, it's crucial for this team. The, I mean, I, I would say the most underreported storyline, the most underdiscussed, is how healthy this offensive yeah. line has been and how great it's been. And it allows them to have a quarterback to just win inside a structure and just deliver the football where he's supposed to. And that's what happens. To your point, though, Pat, like Malcolm Brown, they didn't just let him go when he could have. They, they signed him. They for, signed that offer sheet. Then they traded up for Darrell Henderson. Top 75 pick, I believe. And you don't do that when you want to give someone 20, 25 touches a game like they did last year with Todd Gurley. No, yeah. So I have no clue where it's appropriate. I have no clue where to project. I mean, RB 8 to 12, I feel like, is kind of like the best case scenario for Todd Gurley this season. Maybe that's too pessimistic. I think this offense runs so many plays that even if Gurley takes a little step back and they give more to guys like Henderson or Brown, I think he can still get his and still be a top half RB1, so like top six, top five. So. There's certainly a, a viable case to be made for that. And in fantasy, Henderson's ADP has gotten out of control. He went from a, sleep, so a sleeper to like a mid-round guy overnight. I think you just need to pivot to Malcolm Brown. And I, the, I totally agree. <laughs> it's even how Sean McVay and Les Snead are talking about them. They view Malcolm Brown as a potential three-down player if he needs to be, and then Ezra Henderson is just a scat back, this situational player. Uh, Nick, let's pivot over to you with the Seattle Seahawks. You know, teams go through drastic changes year to year. The Seahawks did that in 2018 and 2019. They still had success, and maybe it can even be better in this kind of year-two rebuild in some ways. Yeah, my question is literally, Russell Wilson was 20th in pass attempts last year, but he had the highest touchdown rate of his career at 8.2%, which is 2.2% over his career over his career normal. So my question is, just, can he replicate that touchdown, that, that sky-high touchdown rate, so yeah. to be a legit QB1? It's, I mean, some of the ways that he just threw those touchdowns, they're not consistent. They're not sustainable. They're not translatable, right? But it's also a team that wanted to continue to add to that wide receiver group, right? You draft DK Metcalf, who's a downfield vertical burner, maybe the most athletic receiver we've basically ever seen. Um, you even had Gary Jennings who did that at West Virginia. So I, I, I think it's maybe not done the same way to the same people, but it's a, a very fair question. Moving on from Doug Baldwin, who was a mainstay at that wide receiver group. So DK Metcalf, maybe the most athletic receiver you've ever seen, unless you need him to go slightly <laughs> to the left or slightly to the right. He's Zoolander. He can't turn left. Yeah, or, but, or right. Zoolander could turn right. Pat, do you see... Any breakout candidates here is Tyler Lockett because, like, Doug Baldwin again was the player in that wide receiver group that we could count on. And even like when he came back towards the end of the season, had some real strengths and strong games, but obviously he's retired now. Tyler Lockett will definitely be a guy who like goes up another rung on the ladder, basically. I don't know if you could call it a breakout. If there's gonna be a breakout, I might say honestly, Rashad Penny. Yeah, uh, they want to stick with the one two punch. Uh, he made a lot of big plays down the stretch. He was pretty fairly efficient on a per-touch basis. Made a ton of big plays down the stretch. I could see he's a the guy I've been getting raved about all offseason by the media and the coaching staff in Seattle. Um, so he, it, it might be if uh, Chris Carson stays healthy, it might be hard for Rashad Penny to truly break out. Absolutely. But he certainly has the profile of a breakout. They drafted player. him in the first round, you know. They want to use him. The Seahawks have kind of always been the ultimate meritocracy uh, where they don't pay attention to that. But I agree that he showed enough as a, a rookie first-rounder, that he's certainly going to get the opportunity uh, to have a bigger role. 
Jesse Pantusco, the San Francisco 49ers, a team that I cannot figure out, and I don't even know like if they're good. Like if, if they were healthy, could they even be good? Because we haven't seen that from them. Um, no, yeah, because uh, Jimmy Garoppolo barely played last year. We were stuck with uh, with Nick Mullins. So that last year, you kind of just throw all of that out the window. And Jarek McKinnon, who was their big free agent signing at running right. back last year, blows out his knee in training camp. So that that's, I mean, that's where I want to begin, is what's, what's going to go on at running back. Uh, as I said, McKinnon was the guy that they thought, they envisioned could be a workhorse, got hurt, so he's coming off an injury. Breida played fairly, Matt Breida played fairly well last year. Wolverine. But he played through a lot. He kind of got worse as the year went on because he was clearly playing hurt, but just wouldn't wouldn't come out. Yeah. And, he uh, might have the record for like most doubtful on Thursday, but then played oh, and a nightmare 15 for, touches on right. Sunday. For blurbing on the injury report during Awful. the week? Yeah, every, every time. Uh, and then they add Tevin Coleman, who um, is reuniting with Kyle Shanahan from Atlanta. So I, I could very easily it, seeing it being a three-way monster where all three of them are getting playing time, mm. or maybe one of them is inactive on game day. It's just a mess for fantasy purposes, I think. Do you ever read that? They're, they're, they're good players, though. Sounds like Coleman. Nick loves be... Tevin Coleman's one of his reads. Uh... No, no, I think no, Coleman no. kind of under. Breed a fan, breed a fan over <laughs> here, but I think Coleman's going to be the guy. At the goal line, I mean, Shanahan was talking about after they signed him, like, this is a guy that's probably our biggest back, can play that goal line, uh, rushing touchdowns, vulture role in this offense. So, And that's what you want for fantasy purposes. You want touchdowns. Right, exactly. So Every year, there's, like, a situation or two where, like, I feel like truly I just can't even, like, hazard, like, any guess based on any sort of reality and say... You, you want no have, exposure. You just have to watch it. No, not necessarily. You just have to watch it unfold in training yeah. camp in the preseason and just maybe even a few regular season games. I wouldn't say zero exposure, but just, like, admit to yourself it's, like, a pure dart throw. Mm-hmm. And this is, might be one of those situations where I'm, I don't know if any point this summer I'm going to be comfortable saying, yeah, Matt Breed is going to be the guy. Jarek McKinnon is going to be the guy. Tevin Coleman's going to be the guy. It's just me... This, this one's, like, out of our hands, basically, and you just kind of have to be comfortable. You would kind of hope just, like, McKinnon would get cut somehow, but I just don't <laughs> think it's going to happen. I will say about the 49ers, they've closed. Uh, Kyle Shanahan is still doing an amazing job. Each of the yeah. past two years down the stretch, they've played their best football. Last year they did it with a third-string quarterback, second-string quarterback, C.J. Beathard and Nick Mullins, and he clearly knows what he's doing. I hope this be, this could be, like, Turn into like kind of an immediately special situation if they can hit the ground running. Sure, but it's also one of those that like to me if something goes wrong, like if Jimmy G gets hurt again, will Kyle Shanahan be the head coach? Will John Lynch be the GM heading into 2020? This is like the the worst injury luck team on the planet. It's the worst. Okay, let's close it out with me with the Arizona Cardinals. It all comes down here to Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray, right? This is a team that last year ran just 902 plays. Would have been worse since 2006 if the Dolphins weren't even worse than them. Um, they go out and sign a college coach with a losing record but known for his offensive style in Cliff Kingsbury, then draft Kyler Murray at number one. So the big question is, how much different is this offense going to look from, one, what we saw with the Cardinals, which will be drastic, but two, how different is it going to be than any other offense in the NFL? Because it's also a team that goes out and drafts three more wide receivers to go along with Christian Kirk and Larry Fitzgerald. I think that this is a team that will lead the league in four wide receiver sets and five wide receiver sets with also a quarterback that can run the football. Let me just quickly go through. They start off with the Lions, Ravens, Panthers, Seahawks, Bengals in the opening five games. Three of those are are winnable. And if they come out with something that's shocking, which you've seen in the past, they can maybe win three of those games. And that, to me, would be a fantastic start for this new-look Cardinals team. 
I feel like Cliff Kingsbury is basically going to be who we wanted Chip Kelly to be. Because to me, the way Cliff Kingsbury has entered the NFL is much more encouraging to me. He has bigger red flags than Chip Kelly did because Chip Kelly actually had college success. But so Chip Kelly came in, you know, immediately it was like he tried to be like an iconoclast, basically like I don't need a dual threat quarterback yeah. to run my offense. I just need an accurate, repetitive accuracy quarterback, and you know, basically ended up blowing up in his face. Where Cliff Kingsbury came in, already had a first round quarterback, but basically said. Listen, I'm gonna go ahead and need my guy uh, at number one overall, and he's he's being honest about his offense, being honest about who he wants, and uh, Kyler Murray's the best dual threat prospect since Michael Vick, in my opinion. And unlike Michael Vick, was actually like a sterling passer in college, and uh, this is gonna be basically one of the most fascinating fantasy offenses in a really long time. And I think Kyler Murray can be a a top five fantasy quarterback. And we have seen, you know, elements of surprise work for offenses in the past, right? You had... It worked for Chip Kelly. Well, you had the Wildcat, you had Chip Kelly with his tempo, you had RPOs, you had zone reads, and, like, again, for the first six weeks or so, like, okay, defenses don't know how to do this. I can't tell you exactly what that's going to be in air raid, quote-unquote, with Cliff Kingsbury, but I guarantee you it's just not going to be the standard stuff that we've seen... In the NFL, the last few years. Improvement on Mike McCoy, that's safe to say. What are they talking about? David Johnson was saying, like, we want to run 90 plays a game. Something like that. Which players? Even, that's obviously not even in the realm of possibility, but if you're up in the 70, that's a huge improvement. It is weird that players seem to have no concept of how many plays teams run per game. I know that we're early, but Kyler Murray, top 12 fantasy quarterback, maybe, I mean, I, I think he ultimately ends up there. Are you going to take the risk of drafting him there? Yes, I am. I think I'm on just on 100% trying to get Andrew Luck every time, so that's, <laughs> that's where I'm at. Jesse? I, I think it really depends on how your draft's going. We do a lot of indus- industry drafts where quarterbacks last forever, and then you can grab Kyler Murray in like the, you know, the 10th or 11th round, and th- then you get good value for him. There's still a lot of unknowns. Got a lot of rookie receivers. Uh, got an aging Larry Fitzgerald, but, I mean, he's... He's got the the right coaching staff for it and obviously showed a ton of talent as a dual threat at Oklahoma. Kyler Murray's a 70% passer and 1,000-yard rusher whose film was good enough to go number one overall. Average 71 rushing yards yeah, a game. I think he's still being drastically undervalued. The only downside, was, I mean, the, the knock on him besides is he gonna is he gonna go play baseball is he's short but we've seen right. we, we've seen Russell Wilson and uh, and Baker Mayfield kind of break that mold in recent years. It was kind of groundbreaking to see a 510 guy get drafted first overall. Guys, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for going through the one burning question with every single team, the AFC and the NFC. And you can go check out every single team preview that these are writing, these guys are writing up over at rotorworld.com. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.